You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, Kingsway. Glad you are here with us for week four of our series, Summer Mixtape, where we have been talking through the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms. We've been talking about how God gave us music to help grow our relationship with him, how God uses our worship. He uses uh, these songs that he's given us in scripture to help us worship him together in here so that we can go out there and that we can live for him better whenever we walk out of this place. And we've been using these different music genres that we're familiar with to help us relate to the different psalms. We've covered things like the oldies and love songs and the blues. And this morning, our, our genre of reference is dance music. Now, dance music is great because every generation has their own. Like, dance music is not something that any group has cornered the market on. It's something that we've all experienced in our own time, and it's changed a lot. And so I thought that it would be fun if we took a little, a little stroll through some dance music throughout history, you know, in, in our lifetime. And I say our, meaning, you know, all of us. And so I asked our tech team if they could, they could put together some songs that would help us kind of see dance music sort of through the years. And, and I thought it would be fun, just so that we all know that this is a shared experience, that if you hear a song that at some point in your life you have danced to, like whether it was, whether it was a popular song, you know, came out, or if it's you know, your parents dragged you onto the dance floor at a wedding reception and made you dance to it, whatever it was, if, I'm not gonna make anybody dance, I promise. But if you would just stand and kind of look around and see, okay, these other people, they've danced to the song. Maybe, maybe smile, you know, give them one of these. Um, and then once you've stood up, just, just remain standing. That way you don't have to do a bunch of up, down, up, down. We don't have a ton of songs to go through. So tech team, let, let me see what you found as far as our, our history of, of dance music. What do we got first? Okay, it's a good start. It's a good start. All right, all right. We're gonna we gotta keep this moving. We gotta keep these people singing all day. What do we got next? <laughs> you gotta dance with me. There's gonna be some ill-advised dancing on this stage. All right, move on. Let's move forward. All right, let's let's get a little newer. Let's move forward in time a little bit. Come on. Little disco, yeah. All right, all right. That's no fun. Come on, let's uh, f- further up. Move, keep it moving. What, what else we got? <laughs> yeah, Day Lions, Footloose. We got some people that still aren't dancing. That's okay. That's okay. All right, uh, th- th- we're still missing some. I think we can get everybody. What do we got? No, just no. Move on. Moving along. Move, no. Mm. All right, all right, yeah, that was fun, that was fun. Okay, you, just give us something, give us a palate cleanser so that that one's not in our head the rest of the day. Just give us one to finish, finish it off. Woohoo! Yeah? Yeah, maybe get a little clap going, yeah? 
No, all right, that's okay, fine, shut it down, shut it down. You guys can sit down, have a seat. Thanks for playing. Some of you didn't stand up because you're like, I've never danced ever, nor will I. Oh, it's fine, you, you guys are smiling. This is what dance music does. Dance music, it gets us excited, it gets us energetic, it makes us smile, it gets us interacting with other people, it gets stuck in our head, you're gonna start singing Footloose at lunch and you're gonna have no idea why, and then you're gonna remember and you're gonna be very upset at me. <sighs> things, like, things like joy, things like happiness, passion, these are all words that, that describe dance music. And these are all words that should probably describe our worship of God. These are all words that should probably describe what it looks like whenever Christians get together to worship God. We should be happy. We should be joyful. We should be passionate. In fact, Christians should out-happy, out-joy, out-passion anyone else in any other setting, in any other place, at any other time, anywhere around the world, especially when we gather together to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's why we're talking about dance music this morning. We're talking about why we should have this joy why we should have this passion. We're gonna talk about how that should play out in our worship. But before we do, I want, to, I want to try and set the stage a little bit to help us understand why this is a conversation that we need to have. I want you to imagine something for me. Imagine that you've got tickets to the big game, the championship game, and, and your favorite team is playing. I don't care what sport, I don't care what it is, but your favorite team is playing in it, and you've got tickets and you're gonna be at the game, or you were at the game. And one of your friends who wasn't there, they came up and they asked you about it a little later on. They said, hey, how, how was it? How would you describe it? Oh, my goodness. It was, it was crazy. Like the, the noise level, just the excitement, the anticipation in the room. Like it was thick. It was the feeling. It was, it was palpable. You could feel it. Or, or maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe you're not a sports person. But So imagine you're, you're at a concert and your favorite band or your favorite performing artist is about to take the stage. Or, or you're at a movie premiere and it's a movie you've been waiting months to see. You've been just waiting for it to come out and it's opening night and those lights start to dim. And you feel that sense of anticipation in the room and there's that murmuring. And maybe some people even start clapping as it's getting ready to start. There's this anticipation. It's so thick. You can feel it. Now imagine that a friend came and asked you to describe what it's like going to a worship service. And, and, and they wanted you to, to tell them about, about the feeling. You know, how was church today? And you, you may say things like, well, yeah, it was nice or it was good. We, we sang, you know, some songs that I liked or, or the, the preacher said something that really spoke to me. Or, or maybe you wouldn't have as positive things to say. Maybe you would say some, some not so positive things about it. But would you describe it with the passion? that we describe some of those other environments? Would you describe it with the sense of joy or the sense of anticipation that we get from some of those places? I don't wanna, I don't wanna jump ahead of myself before we get into the scripture. I just wanna ask this question to help lay the foundation, to help us start doing a little bit of introspection. Why is it that sometimes we get outjoyed by a ball game? You know, why sometimes do we get outpassioned by a concert? 
I just want us to, I just want us to think about that. I just want us to be, to be kind of sitting with that a little bit as we dive into the Psalms and we look about what it says about our worship and how our worship should be, you know, a little bit like dance music. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Psalm 100. This Psalm 100 is a fantastic psalm for helping us to understand both how we worship God, but also why we're called to worship him that way. This is Psalm 100. It says, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. This is a great psalm. This is a great call to worship. I want to look first. I want to look at, at why he says we worship God with shouts of joy, with this gladness and singing. Why should our worship have us responding a little bit more like we do to dance music? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know God? And I don't ask that question to be glib or trite. I know that you know, the prophet Isaiah, he tells us that God's ways are above our ways, that his thoughts are above our thoughts. You may ask, how can you know, a limited, finite being like me really know, you know an infinite God? But God, in his great love for us, in his desire to have relationship for us, he's made it possible for us to know him. Because he loves us, and Psalm 100, it gives us some great starting points for knowing God. It starts in, in verse 3. It tells us to acknowledge that the Lord is God. Acknowledge, to know that the Lord, and you may see it there in your translation as the word Lord, usually in, in capital letters, in L-O-R-D. It's referring to the proper name of God. If you've got an older translation, it may use the word Yahweh or Jehovah. It's saying that you need to know, you need to acknowledge that this God, this God that you have found, he is God. There is no other. You have found him. He loves you. He is here. And it tells us that you can know this God. And how do we know him? Well, Psalm 100 goes on to tell us that he made us and we are his. I mean, do you know God? Do you know that God is your creator? That when you look around and you see the world around you, the universe beyond us, that God made it all. And the God who is powerful enough to speak all of that into existence created you, loves you, is mindful of you. You are his and he is not just our creator, he is, our, he is our, our molder, our developer. He is the potter to our clay. He is the one shaping us into what he wants us to be. It says that we're the sheep of his pasture. It means he's not just our creator, but he is our provider. He's our protector. 
He is our God who loves us so much that he leads us to the places that he knows we need to go, that he cares for us, that he protects us from danger, that he watches out for us. This is our God. Do you know him? Going on in verse five, it tells us that the Lord is good. He's not just the great creator God of the universe, but he is good. He does what is right. He loves us. He cares for us. He's involved in our lives. He's a God that you can trust to never leave you, never let go of you. He's never going to fail to keep his promises. It says that he is faithful. It says his love is never ending. His faithfulness continues to each generation. It means he has been faithful and he will continue to be. Do you know God? God, we, we have a seat here that even the psalmist didn't have. Today, from where we are, we can see even more about our God than the, than the writer of this psalm knew. We know that God loved us so much that when he saw us lost and broken in our sin and in our disobedience, he stepped out of heaven for us. He came to this world for us as Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for us to pay for our sin, to pay for our disobedience so that we could spend eternity with him. He defeated death. He conquered death on our behalf. He isn't just our creator. He isn't just our provider. He isn't just our protector. He's our savior. Do you know God? Knowing God is the foundation if we're going to praise him with joy, with gladness, with excitement, this is where it starts, knowing God and recognizing who he is and what he's done. It should give us exceedingly great joy. And you know, I, I talked about that, that game that you could go to, the concert, the, the, the movie premiere. Well, have you ever been in one of those environments, but you were there with someone who wasn't as invested as you? You know, have you ever been at the game with a person who was there and they didn't care about either team that was playing? Or been at the movie premiere and you've got the friend who came along just to hang out, but he doesn't care about the movie and has not been waiting for it? You, you find yourself like they're almost pulling your mood down. They don't have the excitement that you have and you just wanna tell them, if you only knew what we were about to experience, then you'd be excited as I am. I, I, several, several years ago, I used to work for an electronics, uh, an electronics sales company and, and one day we had these, you know, we had these radio earpieces where we could talk to each other you know, throughout the store and one day there started to be a good amount of buzz on the, on the earpiece. It's because somebody famous had walked into our store. And so everybody was excited. And this, I, this person was, uh, at the time, a football player for the Indianapolis Colts. And they were one of the better, best players on the team back when the team was better than they are now. And, um, and, and my coworkers were very excited that this person had come into our store to buy electronics. And, but the thing was, I wasn't very excited because I'm not a Colts fan. <laughs> I don't hate, I don't have anything against the Colts. I wish them the best each and every season, but I am a born and raised Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> <laughs> friends, friends are good. <sighs> 
So this person's in the store, and I, you know, while all of my coworkers kind of buzzing with excitement, this is not a player that I have really watched play. This is not somebody that I have followed much of their career. I'm not sitting there with eager anticipation that they're going to come over and let me sell them moderately priced electronics. And my coworkers are thinking that if you really knew who this was, maybe you'd be more excited. The same might be said about us with God and our times of worship together. If we really knew God, would we be anticipating more? If the foundation of joyful, passionate worship is really knowing God, then maybe if we lack excitement or we lack anticipation for God that says that maybe we don't really know him. We don't really know that he is our creator or understand how big of a deal it is that he would care about us. Maybe we don't really understand how far lost we were, how far gone we were when he stepped out of heaven to save us. And it's so much more of a reason to be excited, to be passionate than what a concert or a sporting event could give. And maybe, you know, maybe it's not that you don't know those things about God. Maybe it's not that you don't understand that God's your creator, that God is your savior. But a lot of us, you know, we've been in church a long time and maybe we just don't know God like we think we do. You know, maybe for us, it's, it's God has become, you know, a little just sort of mundane. You know, if you had a friend who was a celebrity, like a big star, I don't think I have any friends that are, you know, would consider themselves big celebrities, but if you did and they invited you over to their house, you wouldn't be going with a sense of excitement and anticipation that, that other people would have because, you know, I'm just going to my buddy's house. And that's the same way some of us treat going into times of worship with God, that I don't get overly excited about going like I would to a ball game or like I would going to a concert because those are rare experiences and this, well, this is just church. You know, and, and I would say, and I am guilty here, Kingsway, but I would say that if that's our feeling, if we have lost or if we lose that awe and that wonder about who God is that leads us to worshiping him with passion, well, then we don't really know him like we think we do. And before we move on, before we go on to talk more about, you know, how passion plays out in our worship, before we talk about that at all, I just want to say that if you're here this morning and you don't know God, you don't know him as the creator, you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I just want to invite you to. I just want to tell you that we are so glad you're here, that you are in a place where you are surrounded by people who want to help you know who Jesus is, who want to help you know God, and who want to walk alongside you as you take your journey down that path. And for those of us in the room who, who do know that, you know, God is our creator, our sustainer, our provider, our savior, but we've lost a little bit of that wonder, we've lost a little bit of that awe, it doesn't get us excited maybe like it did when we first believed. I just, wanna, I just wanna stop and say a quick prayer for us. I just wanna stop and pray really quick that God would reignite, recapture some of that. So I'm just gonna pray that over us right now. Father God, Lord, we wanna know you. We know that knowing you is the foundation. Lord, we know that knowing you is, 
Lord, without it, there is no passion. There is no joy. And so, Lord, I pray that those of us who have allowed it to become a little routine, who have allowed it to become a little bit mundane or ho-hum, Lord, that, that you would reignite in us the wonder of knowing you and what it really means that we have a God who is our creator and our savior. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. So if knowing God is why we're called to worship like they worship in Psalm 100, I want to talk a little bit about how they worship him in Psalm 100. How can we worship God in a way that properly displays the joy and the passion that should come from having such an awesome creator, savior God? Well, for starters, this psalm, he shows us where we need to direct our attention. This Psalm 100, it is focused so completely, solely on God. I want you to listen again to some of the, the phrasing, some of what it says. It says, shout to the Lord. Worship the Lord with singing. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. We are his, his sheep, his pasture. Give thanks to him. Praise his name. The Lord is good. Again and again, it points our attention back to God in this call to worship. And I believe that this psalmist understands our tendency to get preoccupied. I think that this psalmist recognizes that, for the most part, we tend to be pretty much self-absorbed, self-concerned narcissists. Like, wow, Todd, that's mean. Tell us how you really feel. Well, put me right in front of the line of the self-absorbed, self-concerned narcissists, because so frequently we go into times where we have the opportunity to worship God, and our focus is on ourselves. What do I like? What do I need to hear today? What, are, what about my performance? What are other people thinking about me during this time? What am I going to have for lunch later today? What stuff do I need to get done around the house this afternoon? Did anybody notice that my son showed up wearing a button-up shirt and pajama pants today? It's so easy for us to come into this place focused on everything but God, particularly focused on ourselves. Now compare that to those other environments that we talked about. Whenever you go into the game, the concert, the movie, whenever you go into one of those places, usually it's something you've been anticipating all day. You've been excited about it. You probably told some other people you were talking about how excited you were to go be in those places. Even if you've got other things that could be preoccupying your mind, you just sort of shove them off to the side and say, I'll deal with that later. Right now, I am excited to be here. One of the reasons that maybe we don't feel that same level of passion, that same level of joy whenever we come to worship God is because we aren't fully here. We don't, God doesn't have our undivided attention. We can't worship him with that passion and with that joy if we're only half-heartedly experiencing it. We've got to set our minds on Christ. We've got to get our focus on him, who he is, what he's done. If we're going to have passion and joy that's anything like what we see here in Psalm 100, let alone if we're going to out-passion or out-joy anything else that anyone else is experiencing. 
And this isn't gonna be something that happens magically. You're not just gonna walk into a time of worship one day and have a switch just flip in your head and suddenly be totally focused on God. Which is a good thing, because if it was something that would happen magically, then it's something that you wouldn't be able to control, but it's not, so you can do something about it. And so I wanted to give just a couple of pieces of, this is just advice, this is friendly advice to help us all, when we come into times of worship, focus on God so that we can give him everything we've got. The first one is this, start worshiping before you come. Start worshiping before you come. Do that with prayer. Do that by asking God to bring your focus onto him. Ask him to help you anticipate coming before him in worship. You know, do that by turning on worship music in the car on your drive-in. Start singing to God before you get here. Psalm 100 tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving, to come into his courts with praise. Start worshiping before you get here. Pre-game worship with worship. Second thing is this, come early. And I don't mean 20 minutes early, I mean a couple. Everybody, Sunday morning is hectic. There is a lot of throwing things together. I'm sure no one in this room got in any arguments this morning, but probably some people at other churches did. And, and it, is, it, is, it is tough getting your kids ready, and we're rushing in, and it is so hard to be focused on God when we are running in here at the last minute, trying to find a seat, rushing to get our kids checked in. Try and give yourself a minute or two. Give yourself time to calm down and to focus on God so that it doesn't take a song, two songs, before you ever start to get to that place. My third piece of advice is this. Turn off your phone. Okay, moving on to the next thing. I say this one with a caveat because church, truly, I love having my Bible on my phone. I love taking notes on the messages on my phone. I use my phone as a tool during the service, and I understand that a lot of you do that too. But I also know that that little red number that sits by my messages is distracting. And that little red number that sits by my emails is distracting. And that little buzz that I feel go off in my pocket is distracting. And I know that if I was at the big game, I would never forgive myself if I was looking at a text message when my team hit the winning shot. You don't know what God might be trying to do at any given point whenever you are called to come and worship him. And I'm just saying, whatever we can do to rid ourselves of distractions, do it. I'm guilty of these things, all of them. And, and I'm telling you that they're, they're just advice to help you come in and to focus on God. But moving on, Psalm 100, it it shows us worship that is focused on God, but it also shows us a kind of worship that might be a little bit foreign to some of us. And that foreign thing, that thing that we can't quite figure out for some of us, it's called excitement. It's called joy. It's called passion. That's why we wanted to compare this week to dance music, because you saw that level of energy that came from it. You saw the smiles. You saw the happiness to be there. You saw people, you know, moving a little bit. A little bit. It's church. Come on. Keep it controlled. But a little bit. We, we look at this psalm in Psalm 100, and it expects, the psalmist expects some level of energy and involvement from us. He says to shout to the Lord, Shout! 
In, in other psalms, you know, the psalmist, he presumes that we're gonna make some noise. Psalm 98, which hits on the same themes as this psalm, Psalm 100, we see that it says, shout to the Lord and break out in praise and singing. It should be busting out from you. It says to bring with you to worship your, your trumpets and your harps and your horns. It says to bring them with you. Now, I don't know if our worship team would love us all bringing our own instruments. We could find out next week. But we should come anticipating getting a little noisy in here. Psalm 98 tells us that all living things, creation itself jumps in on the worship. Seas and rivers are clapping their hands. The hills are singing out to God. Nature can't control itself when it has the opportunity to worship our God. Does it feel like that when we're worshiping? At a concert, when the band takes the stage, there is screaming, there is excitement. Whenever they start that you know, opening riff to their famous song, the crowd goes nuts. Whenever they finish singing a song, nobody has to ask anybody to clap for it. And I don't wanna compare our worship team to a rock band. They don't want that, that's not what I'm saying. What, I am, what I'm trying to say, forget whatever music is being played on any stage, do we have that sense of anticipation for God? I get to worship God. I am excited that I have a creator who loves me. I am excited that Jesus died for me. Do we have that sense of awe and excitement and passion? Some of, you, some of you may worry that it's like, well, does it start to get irreverent? You know, do we, do we start to get to a place where we're not giving, you know, God his reverence because he is holy? And I'm not saying that I want us to be irreverent, I promise that. But the psalm makes it clear that you can be reverent before God without acting like you're at a funeral. There's nothing wrong with a healthy shout of praise. There's nothing irreverent about singing out loud to God, even if God didn't give you a voice that was blessed to be on a microphone. In 2 Samuel, it tells us that King David, he danced before God with all of his might. And when his wife gave him a hard time about it, this is what he said. He said, I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Guys, if you're singing out loud and your wife gives you that look like, ain't nobody wanna hear that, <clears throat> David would tell you, well, why don't you just throw in some of your bad dad dance moves too? Because it's not about what anybody else might be thinking or looking at you or what their perception is. It is about displaying the passion and the joy that our God who we are worshiping is so deserving of. And now there's one question that I feel like we have to inevitably deal with in this. It's what if I don't feel happy? What if I'm not feeling glad about God? What if I'm not feeling thankful to God? What if I don't have this passion? Those events, the games, the concerts and whatnot, those experiences are things that can bring some happiness out in us, even if they're just distractions from the other things going on in life. But sometimes we come into church and we say, this is only amplifying my feeling that God isn't coming through for me like I want him to be. 
I see everybody else who seems like they've got their stuff together, like things are going well for them, and I'm not feeling that in my own life. What if I'm not feeling a passion or a joy for God? And I, if you're coming in feeling that, church, I just wanna, I, w- I wanna offer you some things that hopefully you can hold on to, just a couple of things to, that you can remember, that you can grab onto in these times of worship. And the first one's this, remember the blues. Remember last week's message. Sometimes we're singing the blues about what's going on in life. Sometimes things aren't going so well, just like so many of the psalmists did. And I want us to be like them. I want us to be honest with God about what we're feeling. Because what they did is they told God about how bad everything was going and they chose to worship him anyway. They said, I'm offering this up to you in worship. They didn't act like everything was okay, but they said, I give this to you and I trust you, even if I haven't seen it yet. Second thing I'd have you remember is this. Remember who God is. Remember all that you've got to be thankful for. This is why it's so important that before we're ever gonna worship God with passion, we have to really know him. This is why it's so important that before we even start talking about what worship looks like, we need to know that our focus has to be on God and not on ourselves. Because when we remember who God is, we'll remember that it's not so much about how I'm feeling, it's because he's worth it. We'll remember the things we have to be thankful for. I've got breath in my lungs this morning. That's a plus. I I, I could come into this place. It means God isn't done with me yet. He still wants to speak into my life. He still wants to surround me with people who want to be there for me in the hard times. He wants to surround me with people who want to worship alongside me. God is still working. Hold on to that in times of worship, even whenever you aren't maybe feeling some of that excitement. And my third thing would be this. Remember Hebrews 13, 15. You might say, I can't remember it. You haven't talked about it yet. Well, that's okay. We're gonna get there. If a time comes where your knowledge of God just isn't helping you, your focus on God, you can't seem to do it, you can't seem to be thankful, I want you to remember this verse, and this is what it says. It says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That phrase, sacrifice of praise, is a very interesting one for this conversation because praise is not always something that is a sacrifice for us. Sometimes praise is very much just an outpouring of being thankful for the things that God has given us. Whenever he has blessed us, whenever we have felt that he has protected us, praise is something that pours out, and it's a good thing but it doesn't really cost us something. But there are other times whenever praise to God truly is a sacrifice. It's something you have to offer to him even when you don't feel like it. When the test result comes back positive, praise is a sacrifice. And when when your spouse tells you they're done, they want the divorce, to praise then is a sacrifice. 
when your boss tells you that your job is getting phased out, even things that are, that are a little simpler, like I just don't feel like I got a, I'm getting a lot out of the service or I don't really like the kind of music or I just don't like singing whenever there are other people around. It's something that you can offer to God as a sacrifice of praise, laying it on the altar before him, not because you feel like it, but because you know who God is and you know he's worthy of it. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out as we, as we start to wrap up, but I, I wanna encourage you to hear this as they start to move a little bit on the stage. How we worship together, it's an, it's an indicator of how well we know God. It's an, it, how we worship together in here is an indicator of how we're gonna follow him out there, how bold we're gonna be for him out there. And if you told an, an outside observer, if you told them that you were a Colts fan, you know, based on you booing me, I assume that there are some Colts fans in the room. And if you told an outside observer that you were a Colts fan and they went with you to a game, they, they'd watch you and they wouldn't have any reason to question it. If you told somebody that your favorite band was U2 and they went with you to a concert, they wouldn't have any reason to doubt you. If we tell people that our God is great. If we tell people that Jesus is our savior, that he has come in and he has changed our lives and that we want to devote our whole selves to living for him and that we believe that everyone on earth should bow down before Jesus because of who he is, if we say that, would someone come in here and watch us worship and believe that we believe it? I'm not even asking if our worship would convert them to followers of Jesus. Would they think that we believe God is as great as we say he is? And this isn't an unlikely scenario, Kingsway. There are individuals and families that join us every single week who are trying to figure out who this Jesus is. And before they're ever gonna believe it for themselves, they wanna know that we believe it. And they're watching us. They don't want to hear just what we say about Jesus. They want to see that our creator God, our savior, Jesus Christ, has given us a reason for supernatural joy. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to close. I'm going to close by reading the first part of Psalm 100 again. And if God is alive in you this morning, then I want us to respond accordingly. As soon as I finish, we're gonna go into worship and I would ask that we would cheer our God, that we would make so much noise in this place that somebody would think that we had just won a championship or a Super Bowl in this room. People driving by 10th and Dan Jones are gonna stop saying, what is happening in there? And just even if it's for the very first time for you, somebody here at Kingsway, let's give him the joy and the excitement that he is so deserving of. This is what the psalmist said. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Let's worship. <laughs>